0: The world's major religions are all expecting the arrival of the prophesied Chosen One. How can we know which of them are right, and what does this say about our deepest human longings?
1: This is Signs of the Times
2: Radio with Kent Kingston.
0: Well, hello Australia, hello world. And I would like to introduce you to a very special guest who's with us this week on the phone from the beautiful south coast of New South Wales. And that is my mum. How are you, mum?
2: Hello, I'm
0: good, thanks a How are you? <laughs> I'm very well, I'm very well. Now, for everyone else who is probably not going to be comfortable calling you mum, yes, my mum's name is Janet Kingston. She's a retired teacher, primary school, high school, a whole bunch of, of different topics, done a lot of really interesting literacy work in developing countries and with Aboriginal people in Australia. So, yeah, it's a real privilege to have you on signs of the times radio mum thanks for joining us
2: thanks for having me
0: now look the the reason why we have you here mum uh, of course is that well on our family facebook chat you know which is a fairly active uh, little forum me being the oldest of five siblings who are all married and then some of their their kids are getting old enough to uh, well our kids certainly are, are getting old enough to join in that chat so yeah there's a fair bit of sharing and and back and forth and interesting ideas and, and debates and, and stuff. It's, it's fantastic. But mum put up there one time on the Facebook chat. She reminded me of this experience that she'd had as a religion teacher, a high school religion teacher taking kids around to you know, Hindu temples, Islamic mosques, synagogues, you know, all sorts of things. And, and some of the experiences that that she saw there and and she got there. But before we go there, Mum, I guess I just wanted to get a little bit of background. Like, when it comes to religious literacy, because obviously, you know, this is a background of, you know, why you end up teaching religion. It seems that I don't know, there's a perception amongst some people, you know, maybe we could say, you know, the elites or something like that, religion is a bit par se, that it's a feature of a, a bygone era, perhaps a, a more a simple era, or maybe it's half a, a era, when people struggled and and they really sort of needed God, you know, they needed religion, you know, as, you know, some people talk about religion as a, a crutch or that sort of thing, but in these more enlightened times, we don't need religion so much, I mean, and, and that kind of leads to increasing ignorance a, around religion. How, how do you respond to that?
2: I agree with it, I have a, one little private device, and every afternoon i watch The Chase Australia. Mm -hmm. And I'm astounded that when there's any questions asked about religion or the Bible, how many people just have no idea of the answers to the questions. Mm -hmm. There are a few here and there who seem to know, but generally speaking, there's just no idea. I think that the media actually are probably the ones who are putting the ideas out there that we live in these past, because if if you read around the current articles that have been written at the moment, particularly that one you sent me of the man from Holland who works for World Vision, mm. and he gave some really interesting statistics, I thought, showing that atheism is actually on the decrease and agnosticism on the decrease, and that there is as small on a world scale as one point something percent.
1: Yeah,
2: of yeah, people who are yeah. Actually,
0: <laughs> Yeah, it's it, it's interesting to note that because I think I mean what he probably missed saying in, in his article was that in the 1970s we were of course in the Cold War era where you know the entire USSR and of course a lot of Eastern Europe was communist and therefore officially atheist. So at, at that point, I mean, some people have called that peak atheist, you know, and since the fall of the Soviet Union and you know, the resurgence of the Orthodox Church and and then, of course, we've seen, you know, a resurgence of Islamic fervour in some countries as well. So, yeah, it seems we've passed peak atheism and the world is actually getting more religious overall r- rather than less religious.
2: Yes. And he he actually did make the point that there probably are not fewer atheists. There's just more religious people to make that proportion go down. You know, more and more people in countries like India and Asian countries are espousing religion rather than turning their backs on it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it seems that it's the religious majority countries where there's a, a lot of breeding going on and, and bigger families, whereas the countries that are moving away from religion and, you know, towards a more secular mindset are the ones that are also having fewer children, having them later ageing populations.
2: Yes, that's
0: right. <laughs> Absolutely fascinating. So, I guess it sort of does answer the question in some ways, doesn't it? You know, why is it important to to teach kids uh, about religion? I mean, how, how would you answer that question?
2: Well, it's a huge part of life. In fact, up until probably a couple of hundred years ago or less, no one even thought of religion not being a basic and vital part of life. Mm. And you you can't really explain life as it is at the moment without knowing about the religions of the world and understanding how they affected the politics and, and the history and you know, the daily choices of people and what caused different movements to grow in the world. It's just not a, a really good way to look at things. Also, I was teaching in a Christian school, but it's always my maxim that truth has nothing to hide. And even though I firmly believe in Christianity and in that Jesus was the Messiah that came to the earth to rescue our planet and to give us eternal life, still truth has nothing to hide.
1: Mm. And
2: mm. if you know the truth, error will very quickly expose itself. So,
0: mm. it, it sounds to me like what you're saying, Mum, is that for you, Individual choice is really important, and it's difficult to make a choice when it's not an informed choice. So, uh, so I guess in in some ways that that explains why you like, even, as you say, you know, you're a strong Christian, you you believe a certain way very clearly, but nevertheless, you're happy to teach students about Islam, about Buddhism, about Hinduism.
2: Yes, actually, I took it as a challenge to myself as well because I'd never. I was teaching studies of religion to Year 12 and the curriculum changed and it was necessary to teach about the five major world religions and I didn't really know all that much. And then I said to myself, well, how do you know that you fully believe Christianity when you've never heard what the others have to say? (laughs) So it was actually a challenge for me as well to go and hear it from the horse's mouth, as they say, mm. and to hear what the others had to say. And, of course, I know now that I was only taking a small sample of, of all the different varieties of Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism, but at least it was a start. I have to say that I was greatly, greatly relieved when I actually did learn about what they all it. Why you do you say
0: that? relieved?
2: Because... Christianity outshone them all by a mile, as far as this pure logic connection to the real world around, and also I understood that the underlying story of them all was basically the the same story of the Bible mm. that there was a good world it got evil has come into it. It's going to get worse and worse until a redeemer comes or a messiah comes and ends it all mm. and doors the order from the beginning. So that was confirming to me as well, saying all these religions more or less follow the same narrative. Mm. But the same basic underlying one of the fight in this world between good and evil. And they all have the same basic understanding of what good is as well Mm. and to me that was a a real confirmation of the the Bible story that we were all made in the image of God and that we actually all like what is nice and good and right underneath and we all understand when things are out of order and not the way that they were meant to be.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Wow. So can, can you paint a, a word picture for us? Like take us into some of those, you know, temples and mosques and what what sorts of things were you and your students doing there? Like how, how did it look at? How, how did it feel?
2: We were just all to go together on a big bus and for the year 11 students, we were just looking at the five major religions so on one day we would do an excursion we'd start with the Jewish synagogue in Sydney the the great synagogue and we would all just go in there and the rabbi would come and talk to us and explain to us the basic tenets of, of their faith and then we would ask the kids would ask questions and I would ask questions as the religion teacher to sort of clarify some of the issues and it it was very interesting learning that each, I did it over a few years and so each time I would glean a little bit more information about each one. So we'd start with the Jewish synagogue and stay there for an hour or so and look around at, at their spiritual practices and rituals and things like that and and just how they did everything, then we would go to an Islamic mosque and repeat the same thing all over. They'd have to enter in and take their shoes off at the door and the girls would sit here and the boys there and the girls would have to be respectful, you know, we would enter into the way that that they entered their place of worship and mm. respect what happened. The girls were asked not not to wear things that, you know, showed their that were not immodest, etc Yeah So we we would do our best to do those things Yeah, sure Yeah, so that, that would just be repeated Then we would go to the Theravadan um, Buddhist temple And then to this Hindu mosque After that we'd go lastly to the Christian church Of St Andrew's Cathedral, I think In the middle of Sydney again mm. And well, just Talked to all of the um, pastors, and yeah, the kids were always very interested and hmm. very interested to listen and ask some good questions. And now and again, they would hear something and say, "Hang on," but that doesn't match with what you said before. So they were they were <laughs> thinking hard and and making their own conclusions as well, and and trying to make sense of it all.
0: That would have been fascinating, you know, fascinating for them, fascinating for you, um, and fascinating to watch, I imagine, the, the interaction with these kids who are, you know, just, you know, on the cusp of adulthood, trying to figure out who they are, you know, what's true, what's not, what direction they want to take their lives. It it seems like a, a really good time of life to to do that broad exploration.
2: Absolutely. Well, it was really good. Yeah. And... There were never any of them who sort of came back from the exertion saying, oh, I want to be a Buddhist, (laughs) I want to be a a Muslim particularly. Mm. They were just interested to learn and, and it was all part of just putting stuff in their kit bag, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Because, yeah, I guess, you know, as you go through life, I mean, you know, if, if you study art history, for example, you know, you're going to look at all these ancient paintings and it's going to say, you know, this is, you know, the patience of Job, you know, someone will use that expression or call their painting that. And unless you know the biblical story of Job or, or the Quranic story of Job, for, for that matter, then you, okay. w- you won't know what what they're talking about.
2: Yes, exactly. Oh, and then I forgot to say that, it, that in, in Year 12, then we would have to concentrate more in, more in depth on two religions. Right. So we would do Christianity because we were a Christian school, hmm. and, and I chose Buddhism because it was sort of the other stream, the more mystic Eastern stream. So then we would take a big day trip down from the central coast down to Wollongong mm. to go to the Nantian Temple down there.
1: Oh, it's a beautiful big complex, yeah. Yes,
2: yeah, we would spend a few hours there and have a meal with them in their kitchens and, and they would take us all around the temple and explain different things to us.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah, it would have been really fascinating. Now, well, now, Mum, in this month's Signs of the Times, you, you wrote an article for us that's entitled expected messiahs, and you say in that article that it was during one of your visits to a Hindu temple that you had a bit of an aha moment. Can can you tell us about
1: that?
2: Well, we had just, this was with the year 11s, and we had been to the Jewish synagogue in the morning, and they had been telling us how they are looking forward to the messiah and that they didn't believe in Jesus. Mm hmm as the Messiah, they knew that he existed but that he wasn't the Messiah and the Messiah was still to come. Mm -hmm. Then he went to the Islamic mosque and that time he told us that the time before he told us that they had a lot of prophets and that Jesus was one of their prophets. But this time he said all the prophets had a special job to do. And I was interested as a Christian and I said well what was Jesus' special job? And he said, oh, he hasn't done it yet. He's coming back. And he's going to teach everyone in the world to follow Islam.
1: Uh-huh.
2: And, you know, we're expecting him. And I went, oh, that's too lots expecting someone to come back. Okay. And then we went to the Theravadan one, and they didn't say anything much that time. And mm. then we went to the Hindu one, and he, I was a, it was an, a Sort of a, a branch of Hinduism that was a bit more A bit different from the Main branch I think Yeah. But I, I've since figured out there's lots Of different branches but he used The word Grandmaster.
1: Master Right
2: and that we are Waiting for the Grand Master to come and, and fix the world and Straight away what Jesus said About when his disciples Asked him tell us about your coming And the end of the world and what will it be The first thing Jesus said was Watch out, because many false prophets will come to deceive many. And I suddenly just had this ha-ha moment and said, Is this what he's talking about? Mm, mm. That, you know, there's many different people all over the world are expecting a false prophet. And then I thought of what Paul says in about Satan himself being transformed into an angel of light and what Revelation says about nearly the whole world being deceived by someone who's doing marvellous signs and miracles. And I just went, oh, (laughs) this is big. Yeah, yeah. That's what happened to me, very big.
1: There's a lot more study to be done on mm, this.
0: Mm. I, I guess this is where it gets a, a little bit tricky, Mum, doesn't it? Because I guess the popular, you know, the politically correct thing to to say right now is that you know all religions are essentially the same, and and you've you've said as much, you know, previously you've, in in this interview. You've, you've already said uh, there's a lot in common when it comes to all the different world's religions, as you've discovered. All the world's religions are are looking forward to some sort of messiah, you know, figure. I mean, you know, I, I did a little bit of research, and I mean, helping, you know, put together the article, and you discovered that, you know, Hindus are looking forward to, I mean, you, the person you spoke to called them the Grand Master, but there's a, a another word is, is Kalki, Kalki, K-A-L-K-I, who is a... Uh,
2: yeah, he's the 10th avatar and representation of the Hindu god Vishnu.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What I found really fascinating about that is that Kalki is often depicted as holding a flaming sword, riding a white horse, and, you know, coming to end the the present age. And I thought, well, this is very similar to the picture of Jesus that we see in Revelation. You know, a flaming sword coming out of his mouth, riding a, a, a white horse.
2: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And, and I guess there are two sort of ways to interpret this. And... One that I guess what I'm saying is that in this sort of postmodern era that we're in, a lot of people will look at these commonalities and they will say, hey, is it possible that this is a case of the blind man and the elephant and that all these different religions are actually waiting for the same messiah it's just that they've they've seen that from different perspectives so whether you're looking for kalki as a hindu or whether you're looking for the you know the maitreya as as a buddhist or looking for a, a messiah as a jew or you know or, or you know or for whoever could this possibly be the one same person
2: yes well i agree with you and i think it it's actually ended up a little bit chinese whispers
1: <laughs> the essence okay.
2: the seed of the, the seed of the story is true mm. but as time has gone on you know the, the abrahamic picture of a, of a redeemer coming through his seed has been one stream mm. and then probably the zoroastrian which was some people say around the same time as abraham mm. and others say no later But it also began as that pure stream of one God. Mm. But then afterwards they started talking about four different eras and then it looks as though, you know, that sort of transferred down to India and then it began transferring into, you know, all the ages that they have
1: Mm.
2: and gradually as, as time went on they got further and further from the original, you know, pure God story hmm. and had all sorts of different things added to it. So then you've got from Hindu, the Buddhism comes out. And then later on now we've got the, a modern one called Theosophy.
0: Theosophy, yes. Theosophism. Yeah,
2: yeah Theosophy. Yeah, Theosophy. Yeah, Theosophy. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Which which is basically an expansion of of the Eastern religions and those things.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: then it mix up an awful lot with that. With all of them, you have the dark evil forces.
1: Mm. Some
2: say it's an actual person and give them a different name. And some say that it's just the evil forces within. But to me, it's been corrupted. The true story has has been corrupted and and twisted along the way, and I think that that's why Jesus, who was you know, is the true Messiah and Savior of the world, has warned us that there's so many other things that are now not the truth, and and that he says, "I am the way, the the truth, the life." It's very exclusive mm-hmm. what Jesus says, and I know it's not politically correct, but if you're going to espouse Christianity, all the others have to go. Mm. It's okay if you want to, you know, be in the others and say, oh, well, whatever's true for you is the truth. But I don't think Jesus gives us that luxury.
0: Mm, it is quite exclusive and I guess he does paint a pretty clear picture like in Matthew 24 or Luke 21 there of well yes I am coming back as the true Messiah but beware because there's a whole bunch of false messiahs as well and if you're not clear on that yeah I guess you're in danger of being deceived in some way by by a false messiah. Is that what it comes down to? Is that where your concern lies really?
2: Yes, I guess so. In Matthew 24 he's talking about the end of the world and they say what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age. The very first thing he says is watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I'm the Christ and they'll deceive many. And then later on it says and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Mm. And, you know, then he says, if anyone says, oh, look, false Christ and false prophets will appear, I'll perform great signs and miracles, and we'll, even to deceive the very elect, if that were possible, and then he says, see, I've told you ahead of time, and then he goes on to describe exactly how he will come back and you know, exactly what will happen
0: and is that crucial yes, well, in in identifying the the true messiah as opposed to you know one of the many pretenders Jesus warned
1: about
2: well the one thing that i've noticed about all apart from christianity is that they're all about being good yourself hmm. being even judaism has been corrupted they talk about Being worthy of the true Messiah and that he will not come back until we're all good enough. Mm So we have to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. And Islam is similar, that, you know, we all have to be good. Mm. And Buddhism is the same, you need to do the good act so that you can be reincarnated to the next one and then be worthy of the final, you know. Mm,
1: Escaping the wheel. And they're all
2: the same, except for Christianity, where God actually says, I love you all so much. I know you can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I'm going to die for you. Then I'm coming back to take you with me and make everything new again. And that is the, the huge difference between Christianity and all the others.
1: Mhm
0: boy, it's, that's fascinating. What, what do you think it says uh, about us as human beings that you know, regardless of where we're from in the world, regardless of what religion we're a part of, it seems we all have this same human longing for a Messiah, for, for a redeemer. Like, what, what is going on there at our, our deepest you know
1: spiritual
2: level, do you think? Well, I believe that it, it all comes from the, our original creation where it says we were created in the image of God, which means that we, we all know inside of us what good is. And we all want nice and good and kind and right, and we all recognize when it's not happening to us. <laughs> we all know when something's unfair and bad and when we're being oppressed and when we need relief and... I, I think what's happening is that everybody knows that, that the the world is getting worse and worse, and and they don't like it, and they we they want some relief. Yeah. From it, it's just the basic human longing of us all that there's got to be something better than this.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it, we we all need hope, don't we?
2: Yes, and and praise God, there is something better than this that we've all got to look
0: forward to. <laughs> Absolutely. So, look, you've told us about you know some of those defining features of the true Messiah. What what steps would you recommend our listeners take if they want to learn more about that Messiah to even begin to personally connect with with that true Messiah?
2: I would suggest that people read the Gospels. In the Bible, and learn about the true Messiah, and that they learn about Jesus, and that they learn about how much He loves them. I mean, we all know that text: "For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him shouldn't perish but have eternal life." Says that God didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved, Mm. and. There's another encouraging one. When Jesus actually began his ministry after he was tempted in the desert by Satan, he stands up in his hometown of Nazareth in the um, the synagogue and he says, unrolls the prophet Isaiah and says to them, the spirit of the Lord's on me. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind release the oppressed proclaim the year of the lord's favor and then Mm. he sits down and says today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing so i hear jesus there saying i'm the promised messiah i have come to release you and to release the oppressed and and to set you free so i suggest that People take time to read through the Gospels one at a time. They're all just the story of Jesus, but from a slightly different perspective Mm. to understand who who Jesus is and to realize that he says, Come to me, all you who are labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Because Mm. that's what Jesus wants to do for us all, to give us rest, to give us peace, and he says in this world, you're going to have trouble, but don't worry, I've overcome the world. And then maybe to go to the end of the book of Revelation and understand that God does have a whole new world waiting for us and uh, in where there'll be no sin or death or sickness or crying. But I guess I'm saying... The best thing to do is to take the matter into your own hands and educate yourself and find out for yourself because it's very helpful to do that sort of thing.
1: Very
0: very appropriate thing for an educator to say. (laughs) Thanks so much, Mum. Yeah. yeah, Thanks so much, Mum, for for your time today, for for sharing those experiences and those insights and and for writing an article uh, for us in in this month's Signs of the Times.
2: Yes, it was a pleasure. And uh, thank you for asking me to do it because... I have I have learned a lot, and I've realised that I'm only really looking at the tip of the iceberg.
0: Absolutely fascinating stuff. And look, certainly we would encourage our, our listeners if you, you know, if something you've heard today has sparked a question, we'd be really happy for you to, you know, find us, uh, you know, signs of the times, mag, you know, A-U-N-Z on Facebook and, you know, join the conversation there. So yeah, thanks so much uh, for being a part of signs of the times radio this week, mum. Really appreciate it. And thanks, uh, everyone. We will see you again next week. Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Science of the Times magazine. A subscription is just $26 for 11 issues a year. To find out more, visit signsofthetimes.org.au. Science of the Times has been published in Australia since 1886 and is proudly produced by Adventist Media.